This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hi, welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge. This is Shannon Betts. I've been teaching since 2002. I've been a classroom teacher, reading specialist, resource teacher. Um, You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at rdngdevelopment. Hi, I'm Mary Sagoffi. I'm a reading tutor and I've taught in all elementary grades. I have Orton-Gillingham training Um, And I recently received my Dyslexia Advocate certification, Um, and I am working to help families who are struggling to get appropriate services for dyslexia. I've been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for 10 years now, and I love talking all things teaching. Um, And I'm excited to welcome everyone here to the Reading Teacher's Lounge. Um, This is season season two, episode 14. We're so excited to start season two, episode 14 tonight. (laughs) Um, We're going to be talking today about spelling tests and whether spelling tests are good or bad or somewhere in between and somehow how have they gotten a bad rap. And we have a very special guest that we um, brought into the teacher's lounge to discuss this topic. Uh, someone I've been a fan of a long time. It is Allison at Learning at the Primary Pond. Yay! Um, Allison comes to us with a lot of great experience. So she used to be a kindergarten teacher, and she discovered that she needed um, some more supportive instruction materials for her kids. And so she started creating her own. And her primary goal at the Primary Pond is to help teachers simplify their planning and create engaging lessons. Um, Her materials are easy to use and they are written around using the best practices of instruction. So we know that our listeners are definitely going to appreciate that. Um, She currently hosts a store on Teachers Pay Teachers. She serves as a private consultant training other teachers and also as a reading specialist pre-K through second grade. And I can second that those resources are easy to use because I have purchased her resources from Teachers Pay Teachers and they helped me a lot um, as a classroom teacher and as a reading specialist. And I follow her on Facebook and Instagram and always learn a lot from the information and resources that she posts. And so we had a lovely chat about spelling. We realized we were all literacy nodes, nerds at the same time who had a blast talking about spelling tests and whether they were good or bad or friends or foes or like Mary said something in between. And so I think y'all are really going to like this interview. We're going to link to um, her blog post, which was the catalyst for this episode because in December, 2019, she wrote a blog post about spelling tests that got Mary and I chatting in the reading teacher's lounge. And so we decided to bring Allison in to talk with us. And so we're going to link to her blog post in the show notes and all of her contact information, as well as the resources that we mentioned in the interview. You guys are in for a treat. It's a great episode. Thanks for joining Enjoy. us. And make sure if you have any questions, send us an email at the reading teacher's lounge. No, at reading teacher's lounge at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram and on Facebook.
Hi, welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge. This is Shannon Betts, and I have Mary Sagafi with me, and a special guest, Allison Ryan from Learning at the Primary Pond. Welcome, Allison. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, ladies. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I've been a fan for a long time. I've purchased your reading units, and they've really helped me in my classroom, and I also get your newsletters and your Facebook and the things that you post on Instagram. And I always learn so much from your suggestions and the resources that you provide. Well, thank you. I'm so glad. So I actually um, reached out to you and asked you to come on this episode because back in December, you posted a blog post and did a Facebook live about the topic of spelling test and whether they were good or bad. And that is a topic that's of a lot of interest to our listeners because we've received emails and things about it. And so we wanted to invite you on to join the conversation about spelling test and hear what share with the listeners what you um, shared in your blog. Awesome. Yeah. So this topic is really interesting to me because I feel like this post was a long time coming. Um, a couple of years ago, I started getting messages like emails and Facebook and whatnot from teachers who were asking me, you know, are spelling tests bad? I've been told not to give them. And at first I was a little bit confused. I was like, well, like if you don't assess kids on their spelling, like, how do you know, how do you, how are you going to know how they're doing? Um, but then a light bulb went off and I realized, okay, these teachers are being told that spelling tests are bad because the way spelling tests have traditionally been done has been shown not to be effective. So that's why I was getting all these messages. Yeah, I would yeah. agree. I was getting that same message when I was teaching too. And um, I would, um, it wasn't until after I received my Orton Gillingham training that I really understood um, how problematic the traditional memorizing words in a spelling test were. Um, but that doesn't mean that you should throw the baby out with all the bathwater. Like it's really important to still assess children and understand that, um, like where their spelling skills are. Yeah. So I had the same thing at my school and I had to do spelling in secret because we were told at staff meetings, spelling does not occur at the school, but the parents wanted it. And so I tried to weave together good phonics practices with also giving, you know, sort of that traditional framework of weekly spelling tests because that the parents felt very familiar with how to help their children with homework with that. And so, Allison, can you talk a little bit about where that idea that spelling tests are bad comes from? Yeah, absolutely. And I also, I guess I should let the cat out of the bag and um, confess that I was teaching spelling secretly one year as well. So I totally relate to that. Um, but so when we're talking about traditional spelling tests, what we're referring to is the idea where like, all the kids in the class get the same spelling list on Monday, and a lot of the practice occurs at home. One of the only memories I have of doing homework in elementary school is actually sitting at the kitchen table and my mom reading me words to practice. So a lot of the work would you know, traditionally be done at home, and then on Friday, the kids come in and they have a spelling test. And what the research has shown is that many kids don't actually learn to spell that way. They might, you know, memorize the words for the test, but then by the next week, they've forgotten them. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I think that's um, where that stance came from, from my administration and the school district was the research shows spelling tests don't work. The students learn them on Friday, forget them on Monday. So we're just not going to do spelling at all. 
Yes. So, so basically like, uh, like, like you said earlier, like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, like a misunderstanding of why spelling tests that way are bad, um, turned into like no spelling at all. Right. So I guess our listeners, I'm sure are just with bated breath wondering, okay, so what should I be doing instead of simply having the kids memorize the words? What's the alternative? Yes. So a couple of things. Um, you know, I need to know as a teacher how my kids are doing with their understanding of phonics patterns and spelling. And so that can happen through spelling tests or spelling assessments. But to deviate from that, you know, traditional method, what I'll do is I'll choose a phonics pattern or two, like to compare something we're going to be working on. And then the list of words will all follow that one phonics pattern or two phonics patterns. So for example, Maybe we are, we have been studying long vowels and this particular week we're going to study long E. And in that spelling list, some of the words have long E spelled E-E and then some of the words have long E spelled E-A. And that's a pattern, right? That's something that kids are not just going to see in five words. They're going to see this pattern in many words because even though English is a little bit nutty and weird sometimes and can be hard to spell around like 85% ish of words do follow consistent sound spelling patterns. And so kids need to be able to recognize those patterns. And when they do, they'll be able to read and write more words with the pattern, even if they're not on that specific spelling list. So that's why we want to make sure that the words that we're working on, um, you know, fall into a pattern or a couple of different patterns. Right. And that really falls in line with making sure that you're teaching phonics in a really systematic and explicit, um, you know, form and methodology so that it's predictable and kids can start to really focus and understand the pattern, right? You're, you're focusing on like zooming out a little bit and making sure that they're able to apply it in a number of different um, circumstances, not just on a Friday spelling test. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. So I did the same thing. I talked a little bit about that last year um, in the season one, when you, you just mentioned the EE and the EA um, pattern, Allison. And so um, I talked uh, an episode last year where I was teaching that pattern that week. And so I always introduced a, an art activity at the beginning of the week that followed that pattern and gave a list of 20 words. And so for the EEEA, we made this pattern where it was, if it was um, had the EE, then they put the word on the tree trunk. And if it had EA, they put it on the leaves because I wanted to give them some sort of, you know, visual and tactile activity that would kind of bring those words to life and try to remember sort of how they had sorted those words rather than just doing a T-chart or something. And then within those 20 words, um, some groups um, only had five words, some reading groups had 10 words, some had all 15, some had 20, and they sort of increase in difficulty through those 20 words. Um, so that's how I did it to make it work in my classroom. But I also later in the blog post, so I want you to talk about it in a second, but how you kind of ask students to apply that pattern with new words. And I wish I'd done a little bit more of that. But we did yeah. introduce the activity in an art way at the beginning of the week. We focused on that spelling pattern the entire week um, in guided reading, shared reading, independent reading. We applied it in writing and so forth. And I provided more or less support for which students needed help with that pattern. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love that tree and leaf thing. Can I steal that? 
Of course. Totally. I found it on Pinterest. I didn't invent it myself. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So like a couple of things are coming to mind. Um, Mary was talking about teaching phonics systematically and explicitly. So I just want to repeat that because there's a lot of, there can be a lot of uh, controversy, noise, chatter about teaching phonics. Right. And research does show that even though there is no one single quote unquote correct way to teach phonics, we do have to teach it systematically and explicitly. So systematically, that part means that we have to progress through different phonics and spelling patterns in the developmental order, more or less the kids tend to learn them. So for example, kids aren't using vowel teams before they learn like short vowels, right? There's some kind of developmental order. And if you, if you don't have a scope and sequence, by the way, which I've been surprised at the number of teachers that need that, I do have something that you can use for you. And can we link up in maybe the show notes, ladies, the scope and sequence things that I have for them? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So that's, like systematic, but then we also have the explicit component. And so that means that when we have, for example, that list that I was talking about with EE and EA, we don't just hand them to the kids and assume that they're going to figure that out or just say, hey, look, this is EE and EA. We need to tell them, you know, long E can be spelled in different ways. And one way is EE, another way is EA. Um, And we need to show them, I think, Shannon, you were saying this, that they can use this knowledge to read words they've never seen before and also even spell words sometimes that they've never even seen before. So I think what you're referring to, Shannon, was what I like to do on a test is to give kids, yes, the words that they've been working on or some of the words that they've been practicing, but when it's appropriate, give them a new word or two where they have to apply the phonics pattern to spell a word that they haven't been practicing. Because the whole point of teaching these phonics patterns is not for them just to be memorizing words, because that would kind of be like the traditional method. It's more so that they understand, hey, like many words in English have, you know, the EA and the EE spelling pattern. And when I know these patterns, when I understand how they work, I can read and write additional words. Yes. Yes, yes, a million times. Yes. I'm so excited that you um, laid that out so clearly for our listeners because um, it was a little controversial when I would start teaching this as well. I would tell the parents, no, I'm not going to give you a list of words. I'm going to give a pattern and we're going to have a number of activities throughout the week. And then I'm going to give students um, some words that they have not practiced yet to see how they're applying the pattern. And they were like, but what are we supposed to study at home? And so the the key is really you're not memorizing, you're learning the application of the task. And so um, it, it took a bit of parent coaching, especially um, that I noticed. It was, it was a lot harder to kind of coach the parents into this new methodology. By the time we got to October, they really got the routine of um, the consistent homework practices. And then as their kids started improving, then they started to see it. And just as a reminder, I was teaching um, a number of children who had a diagnosis of dyslexia, and I had about five kids in my class, and um, they were mostly at the third grade level. So I had a really consistent program for them to do homework, and um, and and that seemed to work out really well. There was a lot of additional practice, as you can imagine, with um, readers who are struggling, and then 
especially when you have a struggling reader, you're going to have a child who struggles with writing because those are reciprocal. So um, yeah, I'm so happy that you laid it out that way. We'll definitely link to your scope and sequence as well, because I think it's important. General education teachers are going to be laying this out in a really systematic fashion, and special education teachers are going to lay it out with even more consistency and even more predictability. Yeah, 100%. Because what what came to mind when you're talking about working with students who have dyslexia, because I have some experience with that as well, mm-hmm. you know, kids who, who have dyslexia, they are still going to follow that same developmental sequence, more or less. They're not going to, you know, jump around and be learning like vowel teams before they learn short vowels or consonants. What really is different for them is they're just progressing along that scope and sequence or along that trajectory at a different pace. Yep. Yep. They just need a little bit more consistency and um, more practice. That's really, and and also probably more multi-sensory experiences that are, are um, in line with the practice that you're you're constantly providing them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, great. So I want to chime in here, Allison, because I love um, what you're talking about with application of that spelling pattern to new words. And I think that was the missing piece of my spelling instruction. And so I did have a fear a lot of times when I was doing that spelling in secret and worried if my administrators were going to come in. And I think if I had added that piece in where I'm, you know, in those Friday spelling tests, because they did still occur on Fridays sometimes in my classroom. um, If I had um, had some of those extra new words and shown that application of the pattern in my spelling test, I think that would have helped me justify um, having spelling as part of my literacy curriculum and instruction. And so um, if I could have a time machine, that's what I would go back and add. <laughs> but I do have some logistics questions of kind of how that worked for you. So um, you said you put just like one or two new words or how many words did you use um, to, you know, for that new pattern to apply that weren't in the originally practiced words? And then how did you grade it? And then what would you do if the students missed the new words? Okay, great questions. Remind me if I miss one of them. Okay, but, okay. Okay, so as far as how many, it kind of depends on the pattern because, for example, if you are thinking about uh, CH and SH, those digraphs, right, that say ch and sh, yeah. those are pretty consistently spelled. I mean, I guess with CH, you have TCH, but you're probably not doing that quite yet. Um, but anyway... If you contrast that to words with EE and EA, I don't want to go like too far down a rabbit hole, but with EE and EA, there's general knowledge. Kids have to have the general knowledge that those both say E, but they also have to have word specific knowledge because sometimes there's really no clue as to whether a word would be spelled with EE or EA, right? Right. Sometimes there is, like if it's at the end of a word, it would be EE, but again, trying not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but if I'm giving kids a test with EE and EA, I don't know if I will give them too many of those challenge words or extra words, or if I do, they'll have to be really specific. Like EE goes at the end, whereas EA does not end a word typically. Right. You want to make sure that those, that, that they are words that are applicable and don't have too many variations in them. They want to be really predictable, actually, right? 
Right. So it can be easier to come up with a word that has S-H or C-H in it and ask them to extend that. And if it's like an easy type thing, I might add like three words-ish. Um, but it honestly depends on the pattern. Does that help at all? Yeah, that does. Um, I also like, I did do new words, um, in an activity each week with that spelling pattern. And it's from Pat Cunningham, the looks right strategy where we would try out a word like, um, the word read, you know, we would do it with E E N E A and any other option, like maybe E D E or something, R E D E. And then we would look them all, look at them all in a row and then, see if it looked right or if it didn't look right and cross it out and check in the dictionary. But Mary has also cautioned me that the looks right strategy does not help a lot with um, dyslexic students because they can't remember the large bank of words of which one on the word level looks right. Exactly. That and also English language learners sometimes too, that can not work super well for them. But I do think that that compare and contrast shouldn't be something that's totally thrown away either. It just needs to be explicitly taught. You shouldn't just give students the uh, you know, a, a bank of words and say, okay, circle the one that, that looks right, because that may not be apparent to all learners. So just make sure that you're cognizant of that. That's not necessarily a bad task, but it is if you just give it to them as a task without the explicit training. So, right, so I would say in a writing conference, I would say, okay, remember, we're working on the long E sound. So um, did we write the word on the tree or the leaf? Or let's try writing it both ways. Which one looks right to you? This is a strategy you can try. You could write them both, pick which one looks right, and then do spell check or look it up in the dictionary later. It was just sort of a strategy to add to the student's toolbox. Um, so Allison, the other two questions were, how did you grade it? And then what would you do if they missed the new words? Okay, good questions. So having taught primary. Um, we, I like, I don't do a ton of, I'm not used to doing a ton of letter grades, but I would, I would grade it normally because I'm not trying to assess, did they memorize these words? My goal is for them to be able to apply the pattern. And so I would just assess it normally. And it does take some explanation to parents. Um, just like, as we mentioned before, as you ladies mentioned, it's, um, it's a mindset shift. And so I personally, this is just my opinion, just my two cents. I think it's okay to grade it just as you would a traditional spelling test, as long as the kids and the parents understand what the true purpose of this type of assessment is. Yeah, I would like to kind of throw in my two cents about this too, because I I agree. I think that traditionally grading it and marking it either wrong or correct, depending on um, you know what you're what you're grading. So if in the middle of a word I saw a capital letter, and that was you know with a second grader who should very well be able to write their letters, lowercase and uppercase, and understand that a, a, an uppercase letter does not belong in the middle of a word, then, um, you know, that would be counted wrong um, on my spelling tests. And then I would also have a rubric for grading, and we use the COPS rubric, which is capitalization, organization, punctuation, and spelling. So my spelling test actually had three components. And so the first part Um, would be the what says piece. And what I wanted them to do was um, to write the phonics pattern just with the grapheme that we're using. I know that those are some kind of technical words, but basically it would look like this. I would say, what says brr, like in the word bridge, and they would write br. And I would give them five 
um, of those questions. And then we would do 10 questions where I would use the exact same common pattern. So if we were still using our control consonant blends, all of my words would have the BR phonogram in it and we would, or grapheme in it. And then we would spell all of those words. And then I would also have a dictation sentence, um, usually three dictation sentences. And those would also be graded using capitalization, organization, punctuation, and spelling. And I would give four points for each of those sentences, no matter how many words they had. And if they missed that piece, um, I would give extra time for them to go back, check the rubric, check their work, make sure that they had followed those components. And that's how we graded the test each time. So they were really predictable um, patterns and things like that. So I don't know if that's always necessary in a general education classroom, depending on the grade level that you're teaching, but it does work well in kindergarten, first and second grade to do that type of um, really explicit spelling test patterns. And I don't refer to them as spelling tests. With Orton-Gillingham, it's typically talked about as a dictation because I'm dictating what I want them to write. I love that. And I like, I'm familiar with that too, because I'm OG trained. But what I wanted to say about that is the reason why I think that can be so helpful, even in a general education setting at times, is because you really get to see where the breakdown is. Because if you're envisioning this paper that Mary was talking about, when you're finished, you have the kids writing just literally the phonics patterns. You have some words and then you have the sentences. And there's levels of understanding for each phonics pattern, right? Can a kid just, you know, write the letters? Can they apply it to write a whole word? Can they apply it when they're writing a full sentence? And so if a child isn't able to do all three of those things, then that type of assessment really allows you to see where the problem is and where the breakdown is. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, as I was co-teaching as well, we were able to incorporate it into um, the regular ed classroom. And that was in kindergarten, first and second grade classrooms. And and it works just fine. Uh, And I know that they're actually incorporating that in our local um, kindergarten, first and second grade classrooms too, when the, when the teachers are OG trained. So, you know, I think that um, I'll post a copy of what my, um, what my spelling test would look like. And so that you can have a visual with it. We'll put that in the show notes. So two things that come to mind for me. Um, First, what you were just saying, um, Allison, where you visualize that um, piece of paper that Mary's students had. I love looking at students spelling because that is the or the writing pieces, because to me, that is the quickest look into their brain and what their phonics knowledge is. And I think that's why the words their way spelling inventory gives a lot of information because how a student spells the beginning of a word and the middle of the word and the end of the word and syllables and affixes, or if they omit those things and what the students include or alternate, you know, if they put some different spelling, cause that's how they hear it. It's just an insight into their sound symbol correspondence. Totally. It is fascinating. I think, I mean, you know, literacy nerd, but I think it's fascinating. <laughs> you're in good company. <laughs> Like, this is fun, guys. Let's do this every week. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, and then also, um, a few minutes ago, you had talked about true purpose. And I, I'm i actually glad that we're having this conversation right now because Mary and I are in the middle of recording a bunch of different episodes in our Balanced Literacy series. And spelling has a component in balanced literacy if it 
does have a true purpose. And so I think that in school buildings, in grade levels, in district level meetings, um, there needs to be some professional conversation going on about does spelling have a place, um, you know, in our in our balanced literacy program? And what is the true purpose? And if the true purpose is for spelling patterns, then the way spelling tests look isn't going to be that traditional spelling test that you know, the administrators are just saying, no, we don't do that at all. And so I think under being really clear, having conversations to get really clear about what is the true purpose of the spelling or encoding or dictation, um, how does that fit in with the literacy? And then once the schools get clear on that, then that can be communicated to families. Then you can set up your instruction in a way where you can lead the students to those, those skills and if that true purpose is clear. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. That's so profound. And and I, so I'm right now in the process of starting a brand new school. And I just, I think that's so helpful to think about, not just, not just, you know, telling your kids why you're, you're doing something and maybe telling parents, but having that whole school-wide understanding of why we're doing something and how that impacts the way that we do it. I think that's so important. Agreed. Right. Rather than just throwing, a, you know, saying, okay, blanket statement, we don't do this or we do do this. Let's talk about what purpose it serves for the students learning and why, you know, if it has a place in our instruction or not. So absolutely. Uh, which I think is what you did with this blog post is that you were trying to explain why there would be a place for spelling in a classroom. Right, we're, right. We're, we're going to link the other um, blog post that you have that goes along with this. And that's best practices. Um, for um, schools, for primary instruction, because I think the best practices in teaching phonics instruction is really important. And it does tie into this. And, you know, Shannon and I sort of started this because we both had this realization that when we were um, in our teacher prep programs, we just didn't have a really clear understanding of how to teach children to read, how to teach children to write. Um, and I think that the big component that was missing was really phonics instruction. So if you feel a little foggy in that area, um, I definitely recommend reading the blog post that we have attached in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah, that post really, what I try to do is take what the research says about best practices and make it hopefully actionable and stuff that you can walk into your classroom and, and implement right away. Yep, that's our purpose here too. So that's why we thought you'd be such a fantastic guest, which you have been. Thank you so much. Um, I was just going to ask you, um, Allison, so are there any other um, best practices that you like to share with the people who respond to your blog? Or are there some questions that you often get from um, your, your listener, your readers that you want to share with us? Yeah. So one last thing I did want to mention is that this really goes along with the whole phonics spelling conversation and how it might look differently than it did when we were children growing up um, is that I try to avoid giving all my students the exact same spelling list. Yes. Because like we were talking about before, kids, yeah, they do progress along more or less the same trajectory, but they're not all progressing at the same rate. And unless by some miracle, you know, you have a class of 20 first graders that all happen to be in the same developmental stage, which has never happened to me, although that would be amazing. <laughs> um, like they don't all have the same needs. And I think what can be tricky for teachers, because it's been tricky for me, is that maybe they have a really good spelling inventory, like words their way, 
And they can see very clearly that their kids are really at different places. But what happens is maybe their kids are at 10 different developmental stages. And practically speaking in a classroom, like you don't have time to see 10 spelling groups. So what I recommend if this is your situation or really for any situation where you're teaching kids that are at different developmental spelling levels is do your best to differentiate. But if you have three groups rather than 10, like you're still you're still doing more for your kids than if you only had one group and everybody was doing the same words. So because spelling is developmental, just to reiterate that, it is important to figure out where kids are in their learning trajectory or on that learning trajectory and tailor that instruction to help move them forward as much as possible rather than just picking something or looking at, you know, where should, for example, first graders be and using that because really, you know, differentiating as much as is practical can be helpful in, in moving those kids forward. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, stated. yes. Um, definitely understanding that development because Mary and I've hinted on this at different um, episodes, but haven't done a whole episode about it, but some kids are at just the one letter, one sound level. And then when they advance from that, then they're looking at it's really with vowels is one letter can be multiple sounds like the letter O having seven regular sounds and then even more irregular sounds sometimes. And then later students might be at the syllable level or, you know, at in, they call it within word in words, their way. And then they Mm -hmm. call it syllables and affixes. And so that words, their way inventory kind of taught me that was my first introduction um, to what those development levels could be. And where the students are and how they encode, how they choose letters to match certain sounds, especially on words they don't know. Yeah, I feel the same way. That's what I sort of noticed as well um, when I started using that inventory. So, um, yeah, I I guess. So, Allison, let me just ask you, too. Are there any resources that you... um, recommend to teachers that that have helped you understand and the best practices or things that you want to share uh, with our listeners? Yeah, so I have two favorite books right now that have to do with phonics instruction. I have them right next to me. Um, One is called A Fresh Look at Phonics. It's by Wiley Blevins. He's my dude. (laughs) I have a huge crush on him. And at some point... He's on my vision board to be a guest on this show. So we might invite you if we can ever get him. Because oh my gosh. Can I just like listen me. creepily in the background? Yeah. <laughs> he taught me everything about that I know about phonics and I've never met him. We love oh Riley here. We just adore oh it. Yeah. That's the scope and sequence I follow. So yes, people, our listeners are very familiar with us, but that's his latest book. And I don't think I have that one. I have his older. older a book. fresh look at phonics. I'm putting it in my cart right now. <laughs> yeah, you should. It's good. Allison, have you ever seen his really big binder too? No. Okay. So like that out. my principal had this like extra title one money. So she just like randomly ordered some stuff. She didn't know what it was. And she brings them to all the teachers and she's like, I bought this phonics binder for you guys. And I see that it says Wiley Blevins on the cover. And I just like start dancing in the hallway and I'm like, Wiley Blevins. Oh my God. I love him. And every other teacher of all school is like, who's Wiley Blevins? What is this stupid big binder? But it has like all these um, phonemic assessment, um, 
phonemic awareness assessments and little short reading checks that you can give to the students. And then it lays it out um, in each divider, um, lessons for each week about um, teaching the short vowels, then teaching the long vowels, then teaching the R controlled, and then teaching the vowel teams, and then teaching closed syllables and open syllables and everything. And they have whiteboard activities to go with it and little homeworks and we need to link that in our show notes I don't even know how much it costs but like that blue binder was so amazing and I kept putting in the lesson plans each week and I'm like you guys use the blue binder use the blue binder it's amazing (laughs) that's so funny that's that does sound amazing though you're welcome for that free marketing (laughs) yeah I know right some like reading researcher you know what I'm saying like I love it (laughs) I don't even know any context about him okay besides Wiley Blevins' new book what else do you recommend okay so I also this is a newer book um but it's by Heidi Ann Mesmer and the title is letter lessons and first words phonics foundations that work and that is also very good very um actionable I would It's supposed to be for pre-K through second. I would say it's most helpful in kinder and first grade. Mm -hmm. Great. And I also have a lot on my blog too. There's a ton of posts. I think I actually have a category where, so if you go to learning at theprimarypond.com, there's probably a category. There should be a category that's um, labeled as phonics or something along those lines. And I have done a number of posts over the years. Super. Ugh. Well, if our listeners haven't checked out Learning at the Primary Pond, there are so many, that like a vast array of um, wonderful resources and really easy to read blog posts and something that will give you great professional development and that's actionable. You're, I love that you use that word often because that's that's exactly what it is. And it's just easy to implement. So well done to you for that because that's perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you mention your literacy clubs and what you're doing with that? Yeah. So um, I have two literacy clubs. I have one called the Kindergarten Literacy Club, and then I have a separate one called the First and Second Grade Literacy Club. And these came about because as much as I've loved having my blog and doing webinars for years, I really wanted to be able to support teachers in addition to the ones that I work with here locally in person. I wanted to be able to support teachers on a more ongoing basis. And I think it takes so much more than just reading a blog post. Like our jobs are hard and you need support in order to not just learn something, but actually make it happen in your classroom. So I started these clubs as a monthly membership where you can join for the year or whatever, where you get a like a mini PD and a webinar at the beginning of each month. And then you also get resources from me to cut down on the amount of time that you spend planning for like independent work and also your small groups. And so every month my members get new webinar and all those new materials. And so far I've gotten good feedback. Like it's helping people spend less time planning and, you know, implement best practices without totally spending all of their free time on literacy. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. That's exactly, let's work smarter, not harder, right? Exactly. Amen. Mm -hmm. I really, really, really appreciate the time that you've spent with us today, Allison. This has been really enlightening. It's been a wonderful conversation. And I know that our listeners are going to be able to, you know, readily apply a lot of the things that we've been chatting about and understanding, and then hopefully put into practice some different um, spelling strategies for their students. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been like super fun, super, uh, I know it sounds strange to some people, but <laughs> no, chatting it about stalling. <laughs> we had to start a whole podcast because we kept talking about literacy so much. <laughs> yep. I love it. Yep. Um, Allison, I was a fan before. You're not I'm an even bigger fan now. You're not to Wiley Blevins level, okay, yet? Because that's well, like... Maybe someday, right? <laughs> that's like the Ryan Gosling or Brad Pitt or whatever. But <laughs> no, um, I trust you as a literacy source. And so um, that's why I go to your blog and follow your newsletter and see you on Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else that you are. Um, because I trust the resources that you sort of pull together Um and recommend. And so I appreciate that. And I actually thought about joining your literacy club um, when I moved to kindergarten, but fate intervened since I only taught kindergarten for two months before my car accident. But that wasn't my plans to do that because it really did seem very valuable um, as a support for teachers to just help them, especially when they change grade levels or something, just to have that monthly support. And here's some resources you don't have to go find. I've already vetted them for you. Um, They're ready to use for your students in an easy way. And actually, this is something that I often do when I'm going in to support um, families at school. When I am doing some advocacy work, I will share with teachers here. I, I know that you need to work you know, smarter and not harder. Here are some really great resources that I have already vetted. And, and just like Shannon, I highly recommend um, all of the resources and blog posts that you have because it's um, it, it's really valuable, especially for our newer teachers who are just a little overwhelmed with all of the daily actions that that are required of them and all of the knowledge that's required and and then how you make that work in a differentiated classroom it's it's a lot to take on but um it's really wonderful that there are some excellent resources that are available specifically through Allison's blog so thank you again for your time today it's been so lovely well, thank you, ladies. Thanks for all your kind words and for um, geeking out about literacy with me. Anytime. You're always welcome Anytime. back. Anytime. We will, we will definitely try to have you back on again this season or next Awesome. Season. All right. Thanks again, Allison. Thank you.